Hello everyone and welcome to The Urbex. I'm Savannah Riley. After several years in the cannabis industry, as a lobbyist, consultant, and consumer, I'm still left with several questions. Instead of keeping these answers to myself, I've decided to share them with you. You'll be a fly on the wall during these casual conversations with industry leaders and innovative entrepreneurs. So light one up, kick back, and enjoy. Aw, shit. Welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited about today's guest, Gabe Garcia, founding partner at DJR Garcia Law. Gabe has been a trusted legal advisor to the leading brands in the rapidly growing health and wellness industries. An expert in corporate regulatory and tax issues, he also counsels boards of directors, charitable foundations, and nonprofit corporations. Prior to launching DJR Garcia, Gabe served as general counsel for Natura, a vertically integrated cannabis campus in Sacramento, where he led efforts to acquire 21 licenses. Thank you, Gabe, for joining me. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Definitely. So um, I really wanted to talk to you today about healthcare and cannabis. I know this is kind of a topic we've touched on together personally. So um, tell us a little bit more about yourself, That anything that I didn't just mention, and what made you want to get involved in the cannabis industry originally? Sure. Um, well, I, it's, perhaps it's my education in Berkeley that influenced me, but I always wondered why this plant that had been around for thousands of years and used by various cultures was somehow illegal um, and mm-hmm. very illegal in our country. People locked up for it, people's lives ruined. And even though I didn't, I've never practiced criminal law, I, I've, I've always sort of felt that in the back of my mind. So that when the state of California began to unfold, you know, a, a regulated legal regime for cannabis, I knew that I wanted to, to be part of that and part of the change in the law. So that's sort of the professional reason I got involved. And from a personal reason, you know, my aunt uh, passed away from liver failure and she had, she was obese and used ibuprofen on a daily basis mm-hmm. to address, you know, I, would say, I don't know if there were minor aches and pains, but they were for joint pain. And I think about if she had had access to cannabis and some of the therapies that cannabis brings without that, you know, constant attack on your liver that ibuprofen and other even simple over-the-counter drugs can can take on your body, she might still be with us here today. So that's kind of a personal story of what also made me want to get into cannabis and and see this through as a way of uh, people, you know, improving their lives or or finding a therapy that, that wasn't quite so harsh on the body. Absolutely. There are so many therapeutic um, elements to this plant that I think aren't really explained very thoroughly. Um, And that's kind of where I think the healthcare industry could definitely play a role in that. Um, We discussed the other day, kind of, as I mentioned before, the institutional void presented in the healthcare industry when it comes to medical cannabis. Can you give us more details on kind of what that void is and the misconnection there? Yeah, I think, you know, we saw the in December, the House passed a legalization bill that would uh, apply more funding for research. Now, that hasn't been made law yet, but it was a pretty historic step. If we can get there with some federal funding, I think they'll see a much deeper dive than just the University of Mississippi's facility that's studying cannabis in a very limited way. You'll have a lot more grant dollars and opportunities for researchers to dive deeper into the therapies of this plant. Now, until that happens, I think the medical community is unlikely to, you know, 
I think physicians will be reluctant to be involved due to the risk of forfeiting their DEA card that they get to prescribe, you know, prescriptions uh, and medication to their regular healthcare patients. So the medical community is unlikely to truly adopt it until the research is there and it's shown to be safe for their patients and they have full information. So until that time, I think it will continue as a homeopathic remedy in many respects. And um, you know, once, once there's a bit more info, we'll, you'll see doctors weighing in. We might be able to, to understand how this can truly be a, uh, a product and a compound and the various compounds that are found in cannabis in isolated forms, in combination forms for true medical therapies. What's interesting about that is I was talking to Dr. Karen Moe the other day on one of my older panels, and she was saying how she prescribed patients, you know, um, cannabis as medication. But the thing about that is, is the prescription and like getting cannabis is so expensive with all of the county, state and local taxes thrown on top of that. So obviously it's a very expensive um, solution for patients in need. Um say federal legalization comes around in the next year or so, what would be your solution to fixing the problem as far as insurance coverage and discounts are concerned? Yeah, well, I, I think it would be interesting to see if insurance will cover a plant medicine that hasn't gone through the FDA process. So it could stay as, like I said, a homeopathic remedy that doesn't necessarily have insurance coverages yet until it's turned into what we deem, you know, a, an official medicine in this country. Now that doesn't mean we can't find ways to get this into the hands of patients that might need it at a much lower cost. One thing that I think is definitely possible and, and I'm, I'm inclined to lead some efforts to lobby this because I think it's a, easier sell to legislators. But I believe nonprofit charitable organizations should be able to receive 501c3 tax exempt status so that those organizations can take medicine to the streets. And there's myriad ways that licensed operators with near expiring products on hand should be able to donate those goods to a nonprofit, receive a tax deduction, and have the nonprofit distribute it for free or low cost to those most in need without having to turn to the untested black market. And so there's sort of an economic tax component there that you see in the regular medical community uh, that's not available because it continues to be federally illegal because 280E is still in place. Mm -hmm. But if we go and we lobby and say, hey, what if we remove 280E just for nonprofit 501C3s to get tax exempt status and if a cannabis operator, a dispensary uh, or a distributor, people that have some product that they're willing to donate, like I said, because it's near expiration, maybe it's not the freshest for consumer, but there's nothing wrong with it. That could be given away and people can get a, a lower cost um, access to, to the medicine. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. I was kind of thinking about what the future of that looked like, and it definitely looks like it's a kind of problem I'd say the private industry might need to take on. I don't, I don't know that government organizations would necessarily do that. Um, but yeah, on, on to my next question. Um, what do you see the future of healthcare looking like after federal legalization? Well, as it relates to, as it relates specifically here on, on sort of the healthcare subcomponent, um, I'd love to see 
pioneering companies dive into the science of cannabis and how it can be used as a therapy for humankind. And to be clear, this is a very different market than, than, the, than the cannabis consumer, right? Maybe we're not looking at splashy brands and marketing, but you're taking, you're, you're taking R&D, you're taking scientists that want to isolate uh, you know, compounds um, within the plant and find sort of nuanced therapies. And we saw it a little bit with, you know, Epidiolex and the C CBD mm -hmm. world that was, that, that passed. I mean, that's not like Epidiolex is something you're gonna use as, as a general consumer. It's for a very specific set of indications for youth that are having seizures. So what else could be used? And I, I really feel like we've only scratched the surface there, but there isn't, there isn't a, a major driver yet to, to have companies invest that R&D. But I think after legalization, um, you know, th there'll be a market to capture from a sort of pharma standpoint. When I use that, I use that particular label uh, cautiously because mm -hmm. I don't think all of cannabis needs to go to the pharma model. There should be, you know, the, the consumer... Uh, aspect to the plant, especially from an adult use standpoint that many of us enjoy, but going a little bit deeper on the science and having the FDA look at potential replacements to opioids uh, or other uh, pharmaceuticals that have more significant side effects than maybe an isolated compound from, from cannabis. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, I always am curious because I hear kind of two ends of the spectrum with uh, legalization, with federal legalization, because a lot of people kind of like how it is now. And they know when the feds legalize it, that these big box brands will come in and they'll kind of swoop and buy everyone out and there won't be any room for the little guys anymore. So I definitely think it's kind of a two-way street with that. Um, what is your advice to someone wanting to break into the cannabis space for the first time? Maybe they're from a different industry or just not familiar with it in general. Yeah, I, I would say, see, if you're not in the industry, see if there's a way to connect your current skill set to the cannabis industry, which is mm -hmm. sort of a segue about what you asked earlier. You know, I was a practicing healthcare attorney before I even got into cannabis, but I was working a lot with community health centers that um, need site control and a license from CDPH, California Department of Public Health, to perform medical services at a particular location. And so when I started to see how the licensing regime was going was gonna to unfold in California, I was like, well, this is for, for cannabis. I said, well, this is somewhat similar. You need to find a place to do this business. You need to get approval and a license from the state. Now, the difference being you also need local uh, licensure, but, you know, I knew that what I learned by being a business and regulatory lawyer for healthcare companies might translate into cannabis and it's, and it served me well. So even though one might not have direct experience, um, you know, they, you can, you can have that education background, maybe you're getting into the distribution side and you understand how transportation works, whether you're carrying widgets or whether you're carrying cannabis um, on, on your fleet, things like that um, would, would help you immediately get into the industry and feel like, hey, even if I'm not specifically been practicing in this space or I know this space, 
I have a skill set that will translate and I'll start there. No, I, I completely agree with that because a lot of people will ask me and I'm sure you get the same questions like, how do I get into the cannabis industry? And I'm like, well, I mean, besides the ever-changing regulations, it's like any other business industry. I mean, you got to have marketing, got to have sales, you know, um, law, regulations, things like that. It's, it's like <laughs> I went into it with a sales background and kind of like in legislation too. And then I kind of went into marketing and all of these other things and like communications. So there's a place like think for everybody there. Um, did you have um, anyone you like knew particularly in the industry before you went into it that kind of mentored you into it? Well, it was, um, it, I read, I mean, I read the early Macursa from start to finish before there was regs or anything, just the statute. I, I didn't have anybody that specifically led the way from a legal standpoint, but I did talk to people that were in uh, the industry, uh, just to like give me a sense of uh, what it's like to work in cannabis, to work in the space where at the time it was nonprofit mutual benefit corporations and there were no companies and no licenses yet and how business was actually done, how cash changed hands. Um, so I had, you know, there was some early growers that uh, I was sort of, you know, tangentially friends with that mm. gave me sort of a, a flavor of the industry before it became uh, officially regulated. Awesome. Yeah. When I went into it, I kind of found out, I was like, all right, who do I need to get to know? And you kind of find mentors along the way. Like mine was Mindy and Mandy, and I'm so thankful to have them, you know, because there's so much that's ever changing about the landscape of cannabis that, you know, you got to have the right people next to you to kind of help you through it. Um, well, for my last question, what is new or what's coming on the horizon for DJR Garcia Law? Well, we, we've officially launched, um, we are, um, located in Midtown Sacramento, um, a well-known healthcare attorney in town. She works a lot in healthcare space, reproductive rights. But we've also, she's also seen sort of an expansion in her practice with uh, vitamin companies, alternative therapies. And when she and I started talking about, um, you know, our own practices, we thought there was a lot of synergies to put it together. So we really, um, it, it feels like, even though it's a new firm, it feels like a merger of our two practices, which is where we got DJR from her DJR Health Law days and Garcia from my Garcia Law Corporation days. And I think we also, uh, complement each other's skill set. She's very strong in regulatory. I have a stronger background in transactional and tax. And we feel like between both of our skill sets, uh, we'll be able to handle you know, a wide array of legal issues for clients that whether you're a licensed healthcare provider, a licensed cannabis provider, something in between, uh, we should be able to assess your legal needs and, and provide assistance uh, should, should it be an area that you work in. It's always great to find someone that kind of brings in the assets that like you kind of need or like you lack and like vice versa with them. But thank you so much for joining me today, Gabe. I am so thankful that you joined on this. So much great information you gave today. So um, if you do you have any information for the listeners, maybe a website that they can go to Instagram that they can find you at? 
Yeah, we we uh, our our website's djrgarcia.com, and we are on LinkedIn, Instagram at dj underscore Garcia, and Twitter at djr underscore Garcia. And you know we're we just got those launched, so we love followers and interact with us, and uh, we'll we'll try and be a great resource to stay on top of uh, the the legal news that affects the health and wellness industries. Great. Well, thank you so much, Gabe. Thank you very much. That is this week's episode of the Urbex. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Be sure to subscribe so you're notified each time a new episode is posted. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.